Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal on the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hi, everyone. This is Meron. And today on Streams of Progress, we are joined by Craig Moore, the CEO of Beehive. During the discussion, we covered his insights into peer-to-peer lending and the changes occurring in the financial industry as a whole. So join us as we dive into the conversation. Sitting down with Craig Moore today, the CEO of Beehive. He's hosting us in his lovely offices. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Hi, Craig. Good to see you. Before we get into Beehive, we're going to ask you a bit about yourself. So if you could tell us a bit about your background and how did you get about to where you are today? Sure. So um, I'm originally from the northwest of uh, England, uh, near Manchester, I guess is is probably the the nearest city. And um, really my background in terms of, I guess, university and uh, my initial uh, uh, working career was very much in the accounting um, and sales side. So my background is really finance uh, from university and then started to morph into more of sales and front-end roles. And I think that all came together and culminated essentially in my first business venture back in the UK, which was a company called Butterfly Software. So I was a a co-founder of that. And I'd been working in the tech space for a number of years, predominantly selling enterprise software and hardware for people like EMC, uh, Hitachi, Dell, mm-hmm. sure. uh, etc. So, um, uh, with a couple of other guys, we we, we came on uh, across an idea to do um, a data analytics SaaS solution, essentially. So, it was very much a B two B offering, and it would allow uh, companies like IBM, the sales forces, to go out there uh, around the Tivoli suite of products and be able to very quickly analyze an environment, a data center environment upload that to our portal, we would do some analysis on it and present it in quite a unique way. So the real kicker there was that um, rather than getting a typical 30-page management consultancy type report, Mm. uh, we created a one-page poster, A0 size, with on the left-hand side, this is your current state, on the right-hand side, this is what good looks like, future state, Mm. with an underpinning commercial business case. And what that did is it was a very effective tool. It's also a very effective tool for more senior uh, management within the the, the buying uh, end customer mm-hmm. because they're not really that interested in going through a 30-page report. So it's clear, clear and concise messaging. Very clear and concise, yes. just to the level that they're interested. Sure. Right? They're, not, they're not really interested in any more of the technical detail because they've got their team to do that. So... That, that was that was very successful, uh, and I guess that ended up um, essentially meaning that IBM wanted to acquire us. Mm. So within so we set up in September two thousand and nine, and then we grew the business and we were acquired in September twenty twelve. So that's pretty quick for very a software. Quick exit. Yes, mm, very quick. So I was good, you know, a great experience, huge learning curves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was a good home for the business. 80-plus percent of the staff are still there with IBM mm. five years later. So I think it was, you know, 
it was a good result all around. Mm-hmm. So it's still functioning? I mean, within the IBM machine? Within IBM, yeah. yes. Yeah. And before that first business, was there anything that you did to cut your teeth? Did you work in industry anywhere or in the banking sector? Yeah, I started very early doors, um, uh, very early stages with um, a division of HSBC mm. okay. uh, in uh, Birmingham mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. But I was only in finance for probably a couple of years, and then I became quite apparent that I prefer to be at the front sure. of the business and, and, and sales. So um, a little bit of banking, but that was very much on the finance side of banking. So I've never been a banker in that sense. Um, but a uh, majority of my career was in tech. Not as a te- I'm not technical, so I, I can't code software mm. or anything like that. But I understood how tech can be used as an enabler for business. And, you know, eventually that's what led to, to, to Butterfly. After the acquisition, you stayed in the UK for a while before moving here? Just after the acquisition, uh, I mean, I stayed for six months just for transfer of business, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really had a decision to make because as part of the acquisition, uh, there was still a retention package as well. And that was a three-year retention package and that was considerable. And I had to make a decision, okay, do I stay at IBM for three years mm-hmm. um, or do I pursue other entrepreneurial ideas? And I'd started to become interested in the whole peer-to-peer space that was taking off in the UK. But I knew that if I wanted to create a business like Beehive, businesses like this, it's a volume game. So you need to be the 800-pound gorilla or the six, at least the 600-pound gorilla in a market Mm -hmm. there's no point being the 10th largest uh, peer-to-peer platform in a market because you're just never going to achieve the critical mass Mm -hmm. that that you need so I became interested in peer-to-peer as soon as um, the acquisition happened and then I just made a a fairly bold move left quite a lot of money on the table and said actually do you know what I'm I was kind of concerned that if I stayed in IBM for three years, would I get a bit too comfortable with that blunt, my, um, my desire, my entrepreneurial mm-hmm. desire. So decided to start really looking into how can I bring this uh, proposition, P2P, uh, to the MENA region, uh, starting in, in, in Dubai, and can I build a platform on which to then uh, springboard off into other territories in the MENA region, also Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So, as you can probably appreciate, I was looking at, I was looking at uh, this market. There was obviously no regulation. Uh, it was very grey as to whether you could do it, you couldn't do it. What's allowable or not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so there was a, probably a good 12 to 18 months mm. of continually coming in and out of the country, talking to lawyers, mm-hmm talking to Free Zone because we eventually set up in DMCC, uh, trying to identify potential team members that I could bring on mm-hmm. as well because, yes, I was bringing, I guess, the entrepreneurial background, but I certainly wanted to make sure that I, I picked a team that had experience here. And that, uh, I guess, is evidenced by the fact that, you know, I was able to bring on Rick Putner as the chairman who was... Obviously, somebody who had a, a, a strong personal brand here, being the uh, just finishing up as the CEO of Emirates MBD at the time, mm-hmm. and also it was important to get somebody like Rick on board as, from a credibility and a trust 
perspective because if you're going to do a new if you're going to actually start a new business proposition and you have to educate the market you have to try to build up trust and transparency as quickly as possible and one of the better ways to do that if regulation doesn't exist or there aren't particular um, formal approval processes then it's trying to build a team that has credibility and can communicate that a little bit mm-hmm. so in, that then the government trusts you as you start building out this framework this this business model yeah you'd like to think that they're looking at somebody like rick and saying well surely a guy like that will have done his own due diligence mm. uh will have sat down understood what the vision of the business is how the business is going to be run the people behind the business mm-hmm. and of course he did you know we were talking probably for a couple of months before Rick uh, finally said, yeah, I'm in, because I I believe in what you're trying to do. I believe that SMEs in the UAE need more support. Um, You know, that's coming from a guy that obviously had one of the largest balance sheets in in the UAE. So that that uh, that that was probably a turning point, because back end of 2013, I was on the cusp of... Do I do this or not? Mm-hmm. Right, 2013 was really tough coming here. The conversations weren't moving in, in the direction that I wanted them to. There was a lot of, you know, to set up a company, you need to be in a free zone. If you're going to be in a free zone, you've got to get them to give you a license. You know, yes. it's, not, it's not like the UK where you pay £100, set up a company, and you can set up whatever kind of company you want. And you're done you in a you day. You don't need anybody's permission. It's very easy, yeah. Yeah, whereas... Um, here, you you know, you have to apply for a specific type of license, yes, and that needs to be granted. Mm. And to, to to give you that license, they need to try to understand what your business is. So, mm. of course, you find that I keep going back to the fact that because it was a new proposition, mm-hmm. you are educating every time you're talking to somebody. You have to take them on that educational journey to try to say this is what we are. So, are you going to be lending? No, we're not going to be lending. We're a platform. We're a facilitator. Okay, mm-hmm. so who's going to be lending? Investors are going to be lending. (laughs) So, you know, 2013 was a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of 2013, I uh, came out here and really had come to the point, I said to my wife, I'm going to go out there for two weeks. If I don't start to see the traction, Mm -hmm. then I'll probably call it a day and start Mm -hmm. to look at doing something else in the UK. And, you know, fortuitously, had some good meetings, I started to see how my team could come together. We saw some movement in some other areas, and then it was okay, fine. Right? Mm. What you know, we need to uh, to bring this alive. We need to then put an IM together, information memorandum. We need to raise some capital, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the next. That was the next stage in, mm. in, in early 2014. So a lot of our uh, listeners to the podcast are very interested in starting their own venture, in innovating here in Dubai, creating something. And as you just walked us through, it can be difficult. Do you have any specific recommendations or tips or tricks that people can employ when starting up something new here? I'd say that uh, a few things. I think, I think, first of all, if you're entrepreneurially minded and you've got that hunger and that passion to do it, um, yes, you can have some good ideas. You don't want to get too protective about that. You do need to go and socialize it with some people to make sure that you're not sitting in your own echo chamber. Mm. It's important to go and talk to people, people that you trust and people that you respect. But mm. you do sometimes come across the the odd people that say, oh, I've got an idea, but but I'm not telling anybody. Sure, yeah. And you think, (laughs) okay, I can tell you I probably have 20 good ideas a year. And Mm. I'm sure every other entrepreneur here has that. 
um, but it doesn't mean you're going to action them. Yes. Right? Because an idea is, that's all it is. It's an idea. It's, it's you are, the journey you're going to go on, that's mm. the difficult thing. Building a business, that's difficult. Yes. Right? Um, but the idea and the belief in the idea is that that, that, that passion that carries you through that difficult journey. Mm. So I think, first of all, you have got to go and seek some opinions of people who you respect. Mm-hmm. And get some critical discourse as well. Mm. Right? So don't expect everybody to go, hey, that's a fantastic idea. You actually want people trying to pick holes in your idea. Push back. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, have you got your commercial model right? Mm. right? Is your go-to-market strategy actually viable? Um, technically, is it going to be possible? You think you're going to integrate with third-party entities. Are they going to be welcoming to do that? Mm. So I think that's what you've got to do first of all. And as we look at the UAE... The ecosystem is growing, so there's a lot more opportunity, I, I believe, to go and have those type of discussions. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, you've, got to be, you've got to be very clear on what your proposition is, particularly if you're going to talk to licensing authorities or regulators, if you're going into that space, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to do something new, you know, a regulator needs to understand something before they can regulate. Yep. So you've got to be able to make sure that you can communicate that clearly, and why what you're doing is, you know, what you believe is a force for good. So we, you know, I have, I have absolutely no doubt that if Beehive had started as a lender to consumers and individuals, mm. I think we'd have been shut down. Mm. It would have failed. Yeah, because uh, we were, you know, that's not really enriching the UAE ecosystem. Mm. But when you're trying to help SMEs mm-hmm. get access to finance, who are the main drivers of GDP and the main drivers of employment here, then that's adding something to the, you know, the, the kind of community and the environment and the ecosystem. So again, that's, I think, what allowed us to kind of continue. People were aware of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking to various different regulators, etc. And once they saw how we were trying to do things, and we were doing it in a transparent, and we were building trust, and we were trying to follow best practices from other parts of the, the world, then they became a lot more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you've got, to, you've got to make sure that you can explain what you're doing yeah. <laughs> to, to, to those. And then I think you've got to, you, you, you know, fundraising is a really important part. So a lot of people, you know, they, they can get the idea, they can maybe identify one or two co-founders or early team members, and then it's about how are you going to approach um, financing the business. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had quite an interesting challenge for that because there was no VC in London who was going to back my idea to open a peer-to-peer in the Middle East. Mm. That would have just never flown. But neither was there any VCs here that peer-to-peer was even on the radar you know, mm. at that time, 2013, 2014, it was e-commerce. Right? Yeah. It was food distribution. It was logistics. That's, that was a lot of what was getting the investment. So to raise cash, we had to find, okay, how are we going to do this? Because I could go and talk to institutions, family offices, high net worth individuals, and try and raise a couple of million bucks. Or, which is what we did, is we said, actually, do you know what? why don't we just crowdfund this, essentially? Mm-hmm. So 
our first fundraise, we ended up with 42 people on the cap table, putting okay. anything from $25,000 into about $300,000. But we raised $2.5 million wow. in okay. about 10 weeks. Uh-huh. Right. So you were Beehive's first customer. Yeah, <laughs> the so. founding of it yeah, was yeah. It, it, an example of your business model. Yeah, it was... It was some people might look at that and go, oh, that's a lot of paperwork and oh, that's a lot of people on your cap table. Yes. It depends how you structure it. Mm. Right? So um, what we found is a lot of friends uh, and, and, and kind of friends of friends said, yeah, like it, like the idea. Oh, you know, Craig's going to be involved or Rick's going to be involved or uh, Peter, CFO, is going to be involved. You know, those type of things. And, and, and suddenly they say, okay, I'm in, I'm in for that. I think that's got a, got an opportunity. Uh, you know, it's a good opportunity. So we did that, and, and actually our second raise was done in the same way. Slightly okay. less people, but $3 million. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, only recently have we closed our first institutional raise. Okay. Yeah. So why do I mention all that? It's really because if you believe in your idea, you will find a way to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So if you've done the kind of market assessment you've pulled together what you think is a a kind of you know an a team Um, you've got all the other pieces you will make it work by finding the funding Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. however that happens so i think it's more about believing in really believing in your idea Mm -hmm. and then saying right okay how are we going to make it happen and did you go about raising the funds before the talks with regulation in the mcc or after the fact so Simultaneous, Simultaneous. Really. Yeah, so it was a case of um, we were pushing a number of different things forward at the same time. I mean, clearly, you're getting an idea that, yeah, we think there's some interest there. Yeah. Um, you know, we ended up taking two and a half million, not necessarily because two and a half million was a number. Originally, we were thinking probably 1.5, but th- there was more demand there. And, you know, you, you tend to always take money if it's on the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and w- when you went to DMCC, there was no actual license for what you did. So did you sit with the authorities to actually craft what the, the platform would be or what category it would be for them? Uh, no, we found an existing category that we thought... And it kind of would work. It would fit into, I okay. think, if you try to create. Now that, and, but that was, you know, that was very early. That was with DMCC. With uh, DFSA, we worked closely with them about... Um, the, the creation of the peer-to-peer regulations. So we we were originally regulated uh, uh, in, in March of this year under Category 4, but then we flipped to the peer-to-peer regulations in August when they came in. And my understanding is we're still the only uh, re- regulated uh, yeah, peer-to-peer so. platform. So, uh, yes, sometimes I think if you're just a, a startup, nobody's really going to create any new categories for you. Um, but because we'd been operating for two and a half years, I think we'd proven ourselves, and they were keen to bring us into the regulatory fold, then they wanted to work with us to try to make sure that if they're going to put regulations in place, they are pragmatic and sensible and, of course, adhering to what they need to do, but also they're not going to harm the commercial aspects of of, of the business model. Right. So when you were in the UK and you chose Dubai. Was there a specific reason you chose Dubai? Had you been to Dubai before? Yeah, so I'd, I'd been back and forth to Dubai. I'd got some friends out here, so I'd come out for the Rugby Sevens or you know the golf or just visiting generally. So I'd been back and forth probably since 2000. Um, but this, the, the, 
the selection of, of, of Dubai and the UAE for Beehive was two, twofold, really. If I wanted to build a more of an emerging market peer-to-peer platform, I think this would, was, would be a good starting point to expand out into the wider region. Um, and also there would be some, you know, the, the kind of talent pool would, would be there to help support that. But also I, you know, thought that it would also be a good point for Southeast Asia eventually, and we've got ambitions in Southeast Asia. But in addition to that, I, I'd become interested in the possibility of trying to bring peer-to-peer together with Islamic finance. Right? And Islamic finance, albeit, albeit it's, it's still a small percentage of global finance, it was growing up 30% per annum when I, when I looked at it. And I just thought, wouldn't it be quite interesting if you... Because what you tend to find a lot in Islamic finance is there's lots and lots of liquidity, but there's very few asset classes in which to put it, so it ends up in property right? in London or wherever. So is there an opportunity to open up a new asset class, essentially lending to, 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 to SMEs, and to try to create a win-win? And at the time, Dubai was, trying to, was, was, was pushing its centre of Islamic economy, uh, in 2012, 2013, and it just seemed to sit quite well that we could start that here and then again look to go to other markets with a Sharia-compliant product. I also want to ask about the operational aspects of Beehive. Mm. So as you said, the regulations are something new just in the last year, but before that I imagine there was some due diligence on your side when you're accepting SMEs onto the platform. Absolutely. So what type of businesses would you tend to actually reject? I'm not talking about the ones that we hear about that have successfully gone to Beehive funding. Is there some red flag that you look for? Well, in answering that, it kind of comes back to, in, in part, the type of companies we were almost set out to help. And you've got a changing, you know, as you have changing demographics, and not just the UAE, but in countries around the world, you know, if you look at millennials, if they're going to set up businesses, 99% of them are going to set up asset light businesses. So they'll be knowledge businesses. You know? They'll be digital businesses. They'll be service-based businesses. They won't have plant and machinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, all they'll have is a couple of Apple Macs, yep. and that's it. So <clears throat> traditionally, banks here haven't been that comfortable with lending to asset-like businesses. And we saw that as this economy starts to try to shift towards more of a knowledge economy, then you are going to need to be able to help those type of businesses. So that's how we, we you know, we... we positioned ourselves and that's where we see a lot of businesses that we that, that get funding over the platform are those the ones we've tended to avoid um, because it's not really our market so a lot of the, the kind of old style trading companies that's not really um, uh, uh, kind of our sweet spot um, oil and gas we're not huge on that you know, if somebody's in a particular area, but typically we don't, we stay away from, from, from oil and gas because so, much, so many things are linked to the supply chain yeah. and it can have a huge knock-on effect. And construction, we don't, again, construction isn't something that we're, 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 we're particularly focused on. And that just reflects really what investors are interested in. You know, if it's a digital marketing business and it's doing well and it's growing at 50% per annum, investors like that, you know, they, 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 they want to help support it. Um, what they don't necessarily want to do is get into 
you know construction and you know problems with that and and, and funding so you know ultimately we are guided by investor interest as to what fills on the platform you know if we put something on the platform and it didn't fill um which we've never had yet but there are some that might take quite a while to fill and that's normally because investors going i'm not sure if i like that sector per se so i think that's probably the areas that we we we, we tend to stay away from um, there's always exceptions. But. I want to make sure all the listeners understand just mm. the peer-to-peer business yes, model and how it yeah. works. So if you could explain it for everybody yeah, sure. and how it uh, how people can get involved. When we talk about SMEs, we're talking about established, creditworthy SMEs. So these are businesses that have been in, in existence for at least two years, uh, and, and typically more than that. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing when they come to Beehive is they are borrowing from our investor base right so this is an equity only debt it's only debt mm-hmm. so rather than so they have a choice they either go to the bank yes and take a bank loan yep. or they come to beehive and take a loan over beehive now you might think okay so why would an exactly SME, that was my why, question. why would an sme why go to beehive? Go to so the reason they come is because they typically save about 25 to 30 percent on their cost of finance wow so the average unsecured and when we say unsecured as in not collateralized so no security on planet machinery, fixed assets, etc. what we talked about before. The typical unsecured rate here is about 17-18% mm-hmm. per annum. Mm-hmm. The average rate on beehives is about 12.5%. Right? So first difference. of all, they will save money, so cost of finance. is, But probably more importantly, is time to finance. Mm-hmm. If we get all the information, and I'll come on to what information we get and what we do, but if we get all that information... We can give people a decision in principle that they're going on the platform in about 48, 72 hours. Mm. And then as soon as they go on the platform, if that fills instantaneously, Mm -hmm. which some of them will, because of some of the automatic tools that we have as well, they could then take that cash. Mm. So they could be giving us the pack on a Sunday. They could be getting their cash before the end of the week. And now you don't pre-fill the financing for them. You don't have a, uh, a pool of capital at which you put it in and then that's backfilled by investors. No. No, no. Investors don't, or specifically choose the investments on your platform and their yeah. money goes towards the investment. Yeah, so, so <clears throat> the way the process works is business will come to us. We will do a full credit and risk assessment on them. So we will look at everything that a bank would typically look at. So we'll look at 12 months bank statements. We'll look at management accounts, financial accounts outstanding debt lines if they have any um, you know, powers to borrow, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll you know, trade licenses and all, all, all the things that you'd expect, just which a bank would do. We put that through our proprietary credit model. We will then come out with a risk guide. It's an A business, it's a B business, it's a C business. And then we'll put that business onto the platform. And then you as investors can come onto the platform, you can have a look at it, and you might say, okay, Coffee Planet, yep, Coffee Planet are looking to borrow 500,000 dirhams over 24 months, and they're going to use this cash to do, you know, whatever, buy a new roastery. Um, And, yeah, fine. So uh, I will now invest 1,000 dirhams or 500 dirhams. You can invest from as little as 100 dirhams, so $25. So. And transaction fees allow you to do that? It's not too much to manage that many investors? No, because as an investor, just like you would with a stock uh, account, is once you have passed our KYC AML and we're, you are allowed onto our platform, you will then uh, populate your account. So you'll transfer cash. 
So you might transfer 10,000 dirhams, and that's in your account. And then you as an investor have a real-time dashboard. So every time you log on, you can see what cash you've got available, what cash has been locked because you're bidding, uh, what is invested. It will list all the different investments you've got. You click on those. It will then list all the repayment schedules. Click on those. It'll tell you how much capital, how much profit or interest, etc. So it's very, very transparent. And you can see in real time exactly what your state of play is. So you've, got, you've put 10,000 dirhams in. You see Coffee Planet wanting to get um, uh, some funding. And you go, right, I'm going to put 500 dirhams into that. 500 dirhams. Uh, this is the rate that I'm looking for. Yeah. And then once that, at the moment, we, we, we use a, a, an auction process. And then that will fill. And then that will continue to wind down like a reverse eBay until the auction ends. But then the investors will get their individual rates and their individual amounts. The business will get a weighted average cost. So the business might be paying 12.16% yeah, APR. And then... Once that's filled and the business has signed the paperwork to accept that, and we've taken the security checks, just like a bank does, then we will release the cash, and then the business will be paying us monthly payment, just like they would with a bank. That one payment comes back. We then, over the virtual platform, push that all back out to you. So you might be getting six fills. Yes. But it's irrelevant to us because it's all done digitally. It's all done digitally on the platform. So we built very powerful technology platform um, and you know go, going back to the point about teams my CTO here was my head of development at Butterfly mm-hmm. right? so Ian you know we've got a background of building enterprise uh, tech so the platform takes care of all that and you as an investor and in the event of I guess inevitable question in the event of a default mm. then Beehive will act on behalf of all the investors to try to recover that or to restructure that debt mm-hmm. you know try an investor is allowed, if they wanted to, directly to, to try to reach out to the company. But if you've put 200 dirhams in, yeah. it's probably not worth your time bother? to go chasing that. So why it's important that we allow people to go from as little as 100 dirhams is that then they, they can diversify across many different businesses. Mm-hmm. So your 10,000 dirhams may be across 50, 60, 70 businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting asset class. It's, it would, you know, should only ever be used as part of a diversified portfolio. It's, it's part of that alternative investments. But, um, you know, our investors are making some good returns mm-hmm. on the platform. And businesses are getting kind of faster, uh, lower-cost finance. So we think we're creating a, a virtuous circle. A unique product in the marketplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, and in terms of what we offer, so what we're, what we're always keen to do is to try to match the SME's need to the appropriate product. Mm. So for some businesses, they need more medium-term finance a couple of years uh, and taking an amortized term loan. Mm. So they're paying it down over, over, over two years. For others, it's about short-term working capital. So we also uh, have a, uh, an invoice financing product that allows businesses to get short-term access 60 to 120 days. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you've gone and sold a bunch of stuff to <clears throat> Emirates, but they're not going to pay you for 90 days, yes. then you're able to come and spot kind of, mm-hmm. uh, those invoices, spot finance those invoices, and then we'll pay you out in a, a day or so. Mm-hmm. Is that a revolving type thing or a one-time hit typically? No, 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 it tends to be a revolving. A revolving because 
So it's a working capital play. It's a working capital. Yeah. It's almost a line. Yeah, it's line receivable, receivable financing, basically, yeah, is what exactly. it is. exactly. Okay. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that was uh, invoice finance, and then you have business finance. Yeah, so business finance is essentially a term loan, so that's amortized. We have invoice financing. We're looking at a couple of other things as well. Uh, so, again, we will, because, because we build our own tech, and everything comes off the same data model. It means that if we want to bring a new product to market, assuming that you know, it's commercially viable and it makes sense, then we can very quickly bring that to market. So we can probably bring a new product to market in about 90 days, mm-hmm. including not just the tech, but what's the operational procedures and processes around that, what's the credit model that's going to underpin it, and uh, what's the go-to-market strategy on it. Again, and you're really hands-on with the SMEs, so you know what they probably need in terms mm-hmm. of their type yeah. of financing so yeah and one of the things that we've tried to do is to build that, that community spirit as well so we tend to find a lot of businesses that are b2c businesses like coming on beehive because it's free marketing mm-hmm. <laughs> right you know we've got five thousand registered investors yeah. so if we're pushing out a mail to say coiter right you know, mustafa at coiter mm-hmm. Uh, he'll go right I want to go on the, on, on the platform and they've raised a, a few times over us um, but they they like it because they, they can reach out to 5,000 potential customers mm-hmm. so if you're walking in spinnies and you see Coiter's milk and somebody else's milk if you put a thousand dirhams into that there's probably a good chance you're going to pick up the Coiter's you'll, you'll milk grab it. Right? Yeah. you become a brand ambassador as well sure. so you end up creating this symbiotic mm. relationship and we do find quite a lot of businesses we have a, a promotions a uh, page where a business might say, actually, quote, like the box. Right? You know, if you're looking for some storage, you can quote Beehive code and that will give you some discounts. Right? Yeah. So again, we're starting to just, and that, that's, you know, it's nothing that we charge for or anything. We just think it's, it's helping to build and nurture mm-hmm. the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you, you find some businesses that even if it is, do you take the bank finance or do you go Beehive? Beehive's letting you reach out to more potential customers, mm-hmm. then why wouldn't you do Beehive? And, I, and I, just on that, I, you know, the other thing, which is part of the education, is you know, when people say, when people are first understanding or trying to understand peer-to-peer and where it fits, you know, our mission is to be the lender of first resort. Right? We're not a lender of last resort. So if we're, if, if we're lower cost or we're faster... I expect the best businesses in Dubai to be coming to us first. Mm. If they can't get on our platform for whatever reason, Mm. they can always get bank finance. They can always get bank finance. They'll pay more. Um, So we're looking to be that first port of call for good, well-run businesses. And that's what we're after, the businesses that do keep good books of record. Mm -hmm. They know the business well. and They can provide that information timely. Um, And then... It's about trying to create a win-win for them and our investors. And obviously, you know, if we're able to do that, then we benefit from that as well. Give us a sense of the size of Beehive. You mentioned 5,000 investors on your Mm. platform. How many SMEs and what's your total uh, loan book? So we've lent... uh, So we launched at the end of 2014 uh, and we've lent just under 100... You know, over the platform has been lent just under 150 million dirhams. Mm -hmm. So very sizable. Congrats. Yeah, thank no, thank you. Last month was our largest, so we're recording this, I guess, in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, October was uh, we did just over ten million. Wow, okay. uh, dirhams. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's growing. 
mm-hmm. it's continuing to grow and we've got fairly kind of uh, ambitious targets for 2018 so the early days was very much educating you know that was you know if I had my time again would we have tried to go out as aggressively from the start I think sometimes you've got to let a market come round to something there's got to be a degree of osmosis mm-hmm people tend to want to hear it from a number of different sources before they start to trust something so when you're the only player in a market and you're trying to you're carrying that educational cost and you're spending marketing dollars and 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 and, and you know going out there and trying to educate the market on peer-to-peer forgetting what beehive is first of all you've got to explain what peer-to-peer is mm-hmm. so you know we've invested a lot of time with that and now it really is i think fair to say that we're probably seen as you know one of the Kind of vanguards in the fintech space, and and we're a brand now that even if people don't know exactly how it all works, they will say, "Oh yeah, I've heard of Beehive." Um, so I think we've 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 managed to build a strong brand uh, that's recognised and hopefully you know people trust and 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 are comfortable with, and that then gives you a platform and a springboard to do either bring new products out or, or bring you know whether you go into alliances or partnerships if people like and trust the brand then they're more likely to then engage with you on new products and, and, and new offerings currently uh the smes on the platform are they all dubai based or do you have other emirates no it's, it's other emirates as well i mean i would say dubai is the majority it's the, it's, the, it's the main main um uh emirate in terms of uh, sme listings and i guess that's a reflection probably because we're predominantly based in, in dubai um but no we we, we we've um uh, funded businesses from Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Fajera. And uh, the same goes for the investors? Yeah. It, it, well, in fact, in investors, we have investors from all of different parts of the world. They don't have to be UAE-based. Um, the interesting thing about uh, the, the UAE is the dirham is fixed to the dollar. So if you think that the average returns for our investors, net of fees and bad debts, etc., is around... 10 percent yeah kind of 10 10 11 percent then in dollars without currency risk that's an interesting return mm-hmm. for, for sure yeah. it's funny that you mentioned about dollars because u.s citizens i think are not eligible to invest on beehive <laughs> and myself being one i've been to your website i tried to sign up i know and I know. Um, because i'm uh you know under the jurisdiction of the sec in the u.s i can't so what's the process there what's what's the so future? i think that's something that we continue to monitor because yeah. we do know that actually there's obviously a sizable U.S. Um, uh, contingent here, mm-hmm. and uh, U.S. citizens tend to be fairly active investors as well. Sure. You know, you, you guys have grown up in very much a, an, an investing culture. A lot of it goes back to you know, if you look at a lot of the banks here, they just—I mean, I assume you probably bank with City or HSBC, somebody. Yeah. Oh, HSBC. <laughs> you know, it has to be a global, really. Yes, um, and. It's it's just about how much additional operational burden will that put onto us? And because most financial institutions here don't accept uh, U.S. citizens, right. it tends to be the view of it goes into too hard pile. Yeah, you know? there's too much re- regulation in the U.S. Too yeah. many papers to you know file. Exactly. And- so it's, you know straight away then. In the good old fashion, the SEC is is pushing its you know the US is pushing its tax collection out to the yes. rest of the world, and yes. and therefore it becomes a a burden on a company of our size 
to make sure that we are, because then we almost become liable if mm. we're not picking up every last piece of information. So, yeah, at the moment, mm. uh, we, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep reviewing that. And I think an opportunity where that may uh, spring itself is if we start looking maybe at fund, fund structures at mm-hmm. some point, then that might actually be the way that um, we look to attract U.S. Mm-hmm. investors. And when you say fund, what you mean is that you will create a pool of SMEs that you're invested in, and then individual investors can buy into that fund of yeah. that pool of SMEs. Yeah, we're still working through exactly how we, 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 we see that working. But one of the challenges, um, which is you know, it's a nice challenge to have, but one of the challenges we have at the moment is liquidity. Mm. So we have, we could write, a, I talked about 10 million dirhams. We could probably be doing two to three times that a month mm. right, in terms of demand. But because up until this point, our liquidity has come from retail investors, building liquidity from retail investors is slow and takes time. Um, So that's why we're now uh, talking to institutions about how do we start bringing liquidity, uh, larger liquidity lines onto the platform. And that's why regulation was very important for us. You know, we'd been operating for two two and a half years without regulation. It wasn't to operate that we wanted regulation it was so that we can then go and start talking to institutions and take away the whole regulatory question mm. off the table earlier you talked about your chairman rick yes and how did you go about uh, reaching out to him if you personally weren't here at that time was it at the time when he was uh, finishing his tenure at uh, emirates mbd yes yeah, so he was finishing up at uh, the end of 2013 and it was just a, a mutual acquaintance so you know, I was talking to a friend of mine here. Um, he knew a guy. That guy said, I've got a guy in mind. Wouldn't tell me who it was, because at that point, Rick was just still finishing uh, Emirates MBD. And then introduced, introduced us uh, just after that. And you know, that was a different type of... that. You know, Rick was going to be a, a mentor and a soundboard for me, but he, was, you know, he wasn't going to be part of the day-to-day operations so he's very much part of the business um, but he's a chairman he's not an executive chairman so then it was about okay how do I build a team of people that one understand understand their function but two understand that function in this market because I hadn't worked in this market so you know when I'm looking at whether I'm looking at you know, kind of credit or finance or operations etc you're looking for people who have been in the market for five, six, seven years. They know how it works. And they can help navigate, you know, the, the, the various different uh, different things here. And then you're also looking, you know, from my perspective, you're looking for people who actually believe in the proposition, you know, believe in what you're trying to achieve. Because startups are tough, right? They're hard... You're not really segmented. Yes, you've got a job title, but the reality is you know, you've got to roll your sleeves up and you do everything that you mm-hmm. need to do. So there isn't, you might have a nominal title, but that's what it is. And that, that, that means that you can't carry anybody. Right? Nobody can be carried in, 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 in a startup, when you, particularly when you're trying to keep it lean. So you need people that, yes, have got, have got that ability, um, but have also got that aptitude and attitude 
of, of, of okay, we're going to drive this, right? Mm-hmm. And that really typically comes from because they actually believe in the mission and, 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 the, and, the, and I guess, you know, the, 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 um, the vision of what you're trying to set out to do and how you're going to get there. And they've got that can-do attitude because you're going to hit so many brick walls. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, you know, it comes down to DNA. And it's one of the things where as companies get larger and larger and larger and large corporates, you know, there's lots of smart people working in large corporates, but they suffer because they don't have that and a startup DNA. And the startup DNA means, okay, we've hit a problem. Right, how do we go through it, over it, round it, under it? Mm-hmm. But we are getting through it. Right? Any way possible. Yeah, and, 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 and that, you know, it becomes a mindset. Um, and, you know, what, as, a, as a, I guess, a, an early stage business, you sometimes get frustrated when you're trying to work with larger businesses or looking at partnerships because... You know, we want to action things in hours and days. Mm-hmm. They want to action things in weeks, months, quarters. Well, they have bureaucracy to deal with, and yeah, the ten exactly. approvals have to be taken Ex- exactly. for any one exactly. decision. You know, and what we like to do is, with ideas, is if we're going to fail at them or they're not going to work out, we want to fail fast, right? because one of the most valuable commodities we've got is time, mm-hmm. um, and we've only got so much bandwidth. So, you know, one of the things that uh, as, as, as we've just taken the latest funding round and we're expanding our team is people are coming in for particular roles but I'm always keen to make sure that they'll get a project or two over time right? because you, you want people to be really engaged in what they're doing and yes, they may have their day job and that's five days a week when they first start but you expect that to come down to three and a half days a week mm-hmm. right? and at that point then it's like okay we're looking at this as a, as a business idea you need to go and run with it mm-hmm. right? you need to go and coordinate it you need to go and see can we do it technically so you need to speak to the tech team you know operationally what would be the impact you know can we underpin it with a credit model uh, speak to the BD guys on go to market so you almost create little sounds uh, silly in one way but you're almost creating little MBAs in action to see if can we bring a product to market or can a partnership with you know a third party actually work so those type of things you're looking for individuals who like that kind of thing right who are actually hungry for uh, an opportunity to do that so you're almost creating entrepreneurs now that you're expanding and hiring more people you're actually looking for people who match the startup's DNA like their genes yeah. match yeah. what you're trying to do yeah. and absolutely they should maintain that as well yeah yeah you just, look uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm fairly realistic uh, in the sense that you know you, you're looking for people who probably um, are looking to move on after two or three years you know, unless your business is really, really evolving, mm. what you want is you want somebody to come in, run at 100 miles an hour mm. for a few years, and then if they come to me and say, hey, I want to start my own, great. I wish you all the luck. Um, you know, you've given us great two or three years. You've been part of a team. Um, you know, all our support goes with you. Because you're looking for those type of people. You're looking for the type of people who are ambitious and are driven more by... Um, I guess uh, job satisfaction right? rather than uh, the immediate paycheck yeah, yeah. particularly if they're, if, if they're younger because working in startups can give you a massive exposure at a younger age to a lot of decision making process um, uh, being given a lot more responsibility than you normally be given in a more hierarchical corporate structure 
and it really is sink or swim. So if those people uh, rise to the top and, and, and they're, they're, they perform, then you'd expect they're probably going to have their own ambitions further down the line. Um, and, you know, and, and that's, that's all good. So I think it's, it's always satisfying to when, when, I, when we interview somebody and they've just got that, that hunger. And I'll always take somebody who's got the right uh, attitude and has got that, that willingness and you know they are, they've got the energy and the, the, they're going to run through brick walls than somebody who has maybe got a bit more experience but is a bit more conditioned to actually, I, I, I want to manage people or, mm. you know, I need this. I I need it's just like, no, yeah. you know, it's with you. <laughs> you need to deliver it. Yeah. Might I ask what your pitch was to your CTO? Well, you said your CTO actually came with you from Butterfly. Yes. And you did say there was like a retention package. For yeah, he, IBM, said, he right? stayed a bit longer at IBM. Okay, he did. <laughs> so he, he, he wasn't as stupid as me. Oh. Yeah. Um, so you poached him from IBM? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, he, uh, he volunteered to come over. Yeah. No, he was, um, I mean, Ian and I, this is our fourth or I think fourth business we've worked together. So we've worked together on and off for about the last 16, 17 years. And you know, tech, tech is incredibly important, um, but it is an enabler. Right? It's never going to really win you business, but it will lose you business if your tech doesn't work. Mm. But I'm a big believer you have to own your own tech for the core. Right? You don't necessarily need for third-party apps and, and, and plugins for things that aren't your core business. That's mm. fine. But we are a technology platform over which investors are investing money and businesses are trying to raise money. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have to own that uh, IP. We need to be able to control it mm -hmm. so that we can deliver the type of user experience that we want to deliver. And you know, as a CEO, knowing that if that tech doesn't work, that's the end of my business, you really want to trust and believe in your CTO. Yeah, yeah. And, and with somebody like Ian, I absolutely do. So, you know, I don't need to tell him anything. Right? He just, I'll say, we need to do this. He'll go, yeah, fine. And then, you know, I won't tell him how he's going to do it because I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he will then, and again, he, you know, he's very, 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 as all the senior team are here, very, very aligned to what we're trying to achieve. Right? And that's what makes a difference, that alignment. Because, you know, my job is to be the conductor of the orchestra, right? If I'm better than any of my senior team in their functions, then there's something wrong, yeah? Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to put better people than yourself into those functional roles. Um, and ultimately, ultimately, you know, you want to be in a situation that come three, four, five, six years down the line, you're essentially making yourself redundant, right? Because, you, 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 because the business can exist outside of the founder you know, or the entrepreneur. Yeah, you shouldn't have to micromanage what he's doing. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's, again, we're a fairly flat structure here anyway, so as you can probably see around the office, you know, if anybody wants to come and see me, they just come and see me. Your door is open. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no real hierarchy. Um, and we've got a good team here. Right? We've got a good esprit de corps And again, I think you've got to make it fun mm -hmm. for people. How many team? How many uh, members are there in your team? So now uh, we're because uh, we've been hiring about five people in the last four weeks. So we're about nineteen twenty now here in the UAE. 
We've got five over in Thailand as well, so we're ramping, ramping that up. Is it Beehive Thailand? Mm. You have a uh, okay, yeah. platform there. Yeah, yeah. So we're just hopefully going through the final machinations of uh, regulation there. So we, with, with, with the various regulatory bodies, um, and we were, you know, we're quite excited about that. We think that's, um, you know, it's a big market, 65 million people, uh, strong SME base, and it'd be a great uh, accolade, I think, for a business that was grown in the UAE to now start expanding um, into, into Asia. Obviously, there's a lot. There's a number of companies that have expanded into the GCC from here and that, that MENA. Um, but I think if we can get into Southeast Asia as well, it, that's, that, that's quite an interesting um, uh, story. We talked earlier about uh, how the banks are the other sources of funding for SMEs here in the region. Uh, do you also have competitors in this P2P space? Are there new entrants to this market? So the only other real operator um, that's in the SME lending space uh, is based out of Jordan. Mm. Uh, uh, that's a company called Liwa. Um, I think they looked at doing stuff in the UAE, but UAE is an interesting market because there are very few markets in the world where 89% of the population are expats. Mm-hmm. And what that meant is that we had to build a proprietary credit model that can deal with some of the vagaries mm. and uh, some of the unique a- attributes of... Um, you know, extending credit in a market like this where, you know, typically if a business owner gets into trouble, they're going to get on a plane, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're doing this type of business in a lot of other countries, you are probably lending to nationals of that country Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're not really going to get on a plane and go anywhere because that's where they live. So uh, what what what, what that means is that because we've spent a lot of time trying to build not just our tech, but our credit and our processes and our operations. Um, and there wasn't a lot of third-party infrastructure that we could plug into here. You know, when we started, the El Hattic Credit Bureau hadn't started then um, and other aspects. So when you go into other countries, if they are a little bit more developed in some of those areas, that just accelerates you. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But if I was bringing this model from the UK, where it's a lot easier to get access to data and plug straight in API feeds, etc. It's a lot more difficult for them to come into markets where they have to do more than they're currently doing. In the UK or the US or whatever, you know, US FICO score, bang, done. Yep. You know, that's what it is. We're just going to lend you based on a FICO score and mm-hmm. personal lending. And, and then there's the ability to add a lot more different data feeds because the tech's there and the supporting ecosystem's there. Some of the other countries, it isn't. So we've, we've got the scars on our back. We've, we've built what we've had to build here. But that I, th- I hope and I believe it's equipped us really well mm-hmm. as we look to go into other markets mm-hmm. to be able to roll that out. So, no, I, I guess the major competition for us is, you know, ostensibly you'd say the banks. The banks yeah. But the banks are pulling out of this area, mm. right? Because, because of how we operate, because we're tech driven, mm-hmm. you know, we can help businesses get finance, hundred and fifty thousand dirhams, two hundred thousand dirhams. 
the banks, and I understand why the, the banks just don't want to lend that money. Right. It's not worth their time because right. the cost of the cost of origination, the cost of administration, mm-hmm. is too high. Mm-hmm. So you'll speak to a lot of banks, senior guys at banks, and they don't really want to lend, do lending less than say four hundred k or five hundred k, or they don't want to deal with businesses with turnover less than ten or fifteen million dirhams per annum. Mm-hmm. Well. It's actually quite a big slug of businesses, particularly as you're trying to build up a startup scene, right. and they're going through that evolutionary mm-hmm. cycle. So, it's it's. I think I mean that's probably where the competition is, mm-hmm. if if any. But you know, there's still so much more that we can go at that uh, I don't think we're at um, anywhere near hitting a, a peak yet. It's not saturated. No, no. I mean, it was very, very far off. So I imagine when you were starting off, it was very hectic in some sorts, dealing with the authorities and trying to raise your finance. Was there anything specific you would do to recharge yourself at nights or on weekends? <laughs> uh, I'd like, I'd like to say, oh yes, I do this, I do that. I think, if anything, well, you do need to find some counterbalance because. As an entrepreneur with a startup, you're so wedded to it. Uh, and the fact that my wife works in the business as well, you know, kind of makes it doubly difficult because you never actually switch off. You know, so the weekends, we, we joke, we call it the Friday download. Mm-hmm. Whereas we'll be sitting there having a, you know, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and it'll be anyway. Uh, you know, da da da. This happened, and straight back into 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 work mode. So, um, no. Is the answer really because it was it's been fairly all-consuming? I think now, as the team's building, and that gives me a bit more time to kind of breathe and look at the next strategic element of our evolution. Then yes, it's about trying to get a, make sure that Beehive isn't 90% of how I seem to be spending my time, and try to bring a little bit more balance. Squeeze out that 10% percent. Yeah, yeah, maybe a bit more on the golf course. Maybe. <laughs> And so do you have any personal routines, you, at home or in the office? No, I wouldn't say so, no. no every not. day is a different day? Every, uh, yeah, but, but that's what I like, right? I think that's, that, that's why people also like to work in startups. Because, you know, you mentioned something earlier about committees and this and that. You know, we can literally have an idea on a Sunday. And, you know, we can be mobilizing and trying to work on that. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Actually, oh no, it's not going to work. You drop it, and then you move on to something else. Um, and that's what you've always got to try to balance because it's a case of you, you, you know, you, you need focus, and you need to make sure that you drive it through to its its final conclusion. But you're always receptive to new ways or pivoting, flexing, and, and how you're going to do that. So every day is a different day. Um, and it's what makes it really interesting. Uh, I mean, I must admit, I, I would struggle. I would struggle, I think, now to work in corporate environment, right? Because the speed, I like the speed of, of, of being able to action things. And you want to make sure yours actually doesn't evolve into a corporate. You want to keep that as much as you can. As much as you can. It's that DNA, right? And, and I think that that hopefully comes from the top, where you try to build a culture. Um, inevitably, as you grow. Um, you know, I mean, it, that's going to present its, the normal growing pains. You know, we had it at Butterfly when we grew quite quickly. Um, 
because you know even if you go from 10 to 20 people you might think oh, that's only 10 people but that's a doubling of your workforce mm -hmm. and it's about what impact that has on the productivity of the original 10 as they're trying to bring the other 10 up to speed so it's a balancing act as well you know i was speaking to one of the other you know entrepreneurs here you know, he's got 3,000 employees and i can't you know, just, just the onboarding of that it seems you know, that's a full-time job in itself yeah. you have to have an hr department yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and once HR gets involved, corporate begins. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think you may be right there. All right. Uh, I think we can move on to our rapid-fire questions. Sure. So we all know Sheikh Zayed Road. Yep. Uh, when you're going towards either downtown Dubai or, or going towards Abu Dhabi. So if you could post a message on one of those billboards, and not an ad for Beehive, I mean a message from you okay. to the people of Dubai, what, what would you put on the billboard? <laughs> I'd segue it in. I think, well, it would have to be against an orange backdrop. Okay. The subliminal. <laughs> and it would be something like, you know, be smart, be happy. <laughs> With a, what, maybe an extra E on the, on the, on the B, maybe. Um, <laughs> something. I think, you know, I think it's an exciting time here. So, um, you know, the ecosystem's growing. Uh, this I think this place has got a great opportunity to be that regional hub for tech startup. You know, can attract the talent. Um, you know, it's an exciting time. I think the next three to five years here um, is probably a great time to be trying to do business here. And as you bring more and more people to it some of your listeners, it becomes easier to set up a business mm -hmm. because you will have more proof points. You will have more people to bounce your ideas off. You will have a better pool of talent to, be, to, 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 to call on to try to get your business uh, to where it needs to be. So, yeah, be, be smart, be happy. <laughs> it plays into the Smart Dubai initiative of being hey, happy as well. Hey, we, you know, smarter finance. We were talking about that three years ago. <laughs> Uh, is there any uh, book you tend to gift to people or just have a favorite book? No, there's, there's a book that I've been recommending constantly to people recently, which I think is a brilliant book called uh, Prisoners of Geography. You should definitely read it um, because it's fascinating. Um, I think it's about 10 chapters and it essentially looks at, at, at why geopolitical, why countries have different policies based on geography. And it's fascinating. Um, and why it drives certain behaviours or why you may look and think, why, is that, why, do, why does this country always get hung up about this territory or that territory? Um, so it shows about 10 different maps, but everybody who reads it just says, that's absolutely superb. So Prisoners of Geography by Tim, I can't remember his surname, but uh, it's great. It's a really great book. I'll look it up. Speaking of Dubai, since this is our home, do you have any... Uh dream initiatives that you would like to see Dubai implement? I mean, you said you have like 20 ideas a week. Is there anything you can imagine for the city itself? I think it's, it's starting to move that way, but you know, if you want to create the ultimate kind of startup scene, you need to make sure that the cost of setting up a business is kept to an absolute minimum. You know, we talk about other territories. You, know, you want to set up a business in the UK, it's £100 
to get a limited company, and then you can do it from your bedroom. Right? That means that lots of people can try lots of things, and they may have only spent a couple of thousand pounds or a couple of thousand dollars, and then business fails. Fine. You can't have people spending 20, 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars before they find out that something isn't working. Right? So, and I think that goes hand in hand with you are going to have some failures, right? and you've got to be able to allow them to happen without castigating them. Um, but I think if you can get the cost of setting up a business down, then people will fail quicker and won't have necessarily burnt their life savings. And they can move on to the next thing. And then yeah. they move on to the next thing and they may, you know, because you've either failed or you've just, in the old, is it Thomas Edison? You know, I didn't fail. I just found 99, 999 ways or whatever to... Um, it takes one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's that type of, I think that would, that would make a big, big difference here. Yeah? And I think the other thing, which is we're starting to see, is to create a more flexible working economy. Right? Because if you look at the startups, they don't necessarily need a full-time head to do particular functional roles. They, they, if they could tap into a subject matter expert for 10 hours a week, right? that's what they need. That's enough. As they evolve. Yeah? They don't want to be paying a full-time uh, salary for somebody, uh, visa costs and everything else that's going with it. What they want to be able to do is to say, hey, that person's going to do 10 hours a week for us. And that's brilliant because we're tapping into their immense knowledge. And that person might be 50, 60 years old, right? And they bring lots, they've got a lot of experience to give. But you can't afford them as a, as a, as a startup. But, you know, if they can um, do shorter bits and, and, and can share that knowledge, that, that more flexible, agile uh, work infrastructure, I think, would be huge here. If there's one piece of advice you could give your 20-year-old self, what would that be? Uh, don't be afraid. I think take risks earlier. Um, I speak to a few people who are probably in their early 20s and, you know, that's the time to take risks, really. I mean, you know, you're still, if you go back into corporate, you're still going to be hired for potential all the way through your 20s, you know, because you're still learning and evolving. So if you've got ideas and you're in your 20s, early 30s, it doesn't really matter what age, but particularly if you're asking me about my early 20s, I would have tried a few things. Now, when I was in my early 20s, there wasn't still this entrepreneurial ecosystem globally. I remember then, you weren't called an entrepreneur, you were called a business owner. Mm. Right? It wasn't called startups, it was just called an SME. Mm-hmm. So it's only in the last probably 20 years that it's startups and entrepreneurs and founders. Right? It was never that before. Um, so I would, I think if I was 20 now, it would be definitely if you've got some ideas or um, if you know that, because I always knew from a young age that I wanted to have my own business at some point. So to be able to go and work and, exp- and, and, and to use that as my learning would, would be invaluable. Do you have any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, takes five minutes to sign up to Beehive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ever the salesman. I love it. (laughs) And uh, where can our listeners go to get more information about uh, you and Beehive? Uh, beehive Beehive.ae. Yeah, so that gives a little bit of blurb about me, um, some of the other team. um, But more importantly, they can read about 
what Beehive is, how it works, etc. And um, you know, as we talked about before, because it, it's relatively small amounts of money, they can go and have a play. You know, and if it's for you, great. You can increase what you put in, and if it's not, then it's you know, it's it's not about transferring a lot of your savings. So I think Beehive.a. They can get probably most information they need. So, Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate your time and all the insights and the wisdom you have about startups, how to get you know your feet on the ground as you're starting something like this. You know, mm. so we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Enjoyed it. You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com/beehive. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.